If at some point in time you and I are having a conversation and I say the words, trust me. You know, Rick, he talked, uh, Dave Knox is preaching a sermon and says, trust me. I don't think so. But anyway, if I say the words, trust me, I hope you would pause, think a little bit, and then kindly respond, "Uh, what are you asking me to trust you with? Because that would be a very important question. For example, if you're having car problems and you need a mechanic and I say, trust me, I don't think I would do that. Believe it or not, I was a mechanic for three years. A couple years out of high school, my father was a mechanic in a garage and I came alongside. I was a mechanic for three years. I had my Pennsylvania inspection license. But during those three years, I still didn't learn a whole lot about mechanics. I am glad and appreciate the fact that I can do some basic auto mechanics so that I can do that in my own car. But the bulk of my mechanic work goes to my mechanic at the garage. So if you were to be talking with me about mechanics, you'd say, ah, trust me, I'll pass, Dave. Trust. It's a very important character quality to trust, to trust someone, to trust something. And there's a very, there has been a very dramatic decline in trust, of trust in our society. No one trusts anyone anymore. Customers don't trust businesses. Employees don't trust their bosses or their companies. And no one trusts their government. There's a survey that was done of the least trusted professions. Third from the bottom was telemarketers. Second was used car salesmen. And on the bottom of the list was politicians. And we all understand that. All right? I will say anything I need to to get elected. All right? So we don't trust our politicians these days. But even on a personal level, when it comes to relationships, many of us have been hurt. Our trust has been broken of people that we really felt we should be able to trust, people that were there that should have been able to care for us and have our best interest in mind. But that trust has been broken. But it is very important, even though some of us struggle with trusting, it is very important that we trust other people and that we find people we can trust. Because God has built us, he has wired us in such a way that we desire to trust somebody. And trust is a key ingredient of who we are. The text this morning is from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And it reads, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and and he will make your path straight. For some of you, like myself, you learned or maybe even memorized that verse as a little child. That's one of those verses you learn in Sunday school as a child. So in this time where it's very difficult to trust people around us, some people would ask, why? Why should I trust God? What makes him worthy of my trust? 
You know, you Christians, you say God is in control. Look at the evil, the chaos in this world today. If God's in control, what's wrong? What happened? How can I trust that God? Not a bad question for the outside world. To answer that question today, though, I'd like to start by looking at three attributes that only God possesses. The first one, omnipotence. God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. God has a never-ending supply of power. There is nothing that God cannot do that's outside his power. Genesis 1 would be a great example of that, is God created this entire universe. The earth, the stars, the moon, the sun, everything, put it in place. God created that with his unlimited power, miraculous power. Now, let's compare God's power to the power of man. Should have a, there we go. This is Martin Lissus. Martin Lissus this year won the 2019 World's Strongest Man competition. Looks like he's capable of that in that picture, doesn't it? All right. Now, if we used only this competition, and Martin Lissus being the champion, we could say, for, for this morning's sake, we could say this is the strongest man on the planet. All right? Does anyone argue with the fact that the strongest man on the planet, his strength is limited? Can Martin Lissus hang the sun, the moon, and the stars in place? No. Can Martin divide the Red Sea? No. Can Martin march into Egypt and, and possess the power to do the ten miracles that Moses did? No. Can Martin raise somebody from the dead? No. Martin's power, just like ours, is limited. Who was known as the strongest man in the Bible? Okay, that's, that would be, he would get my vote. As you read through the Old Testament, there are sometimes lists, a summary of the great power some of the men of the Old Testament had. But I believe Samson would be the strongest man in Scripture. Martin Lissus, Samson, unbelievably strong and powerful, but can't be compared with the strength of an omnipotent God. Second, omniscient. God is omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. God knows everything. There is nothing that God does not know. Now, let's compare him with man's... Oh, how in the world did that picture get in there? Yeah, that's me. Oh, okay, forget that. I don't, let's go on to the next one. Because there's not a whole lot of wisdom in that man, I can tell you. But this is, this is Christopher Langan. Christopher Langan is considered the smartest, the most intelligent man on the planet. He has an IQ, at least according to Wikipedia. And you know if it's in Wikipedia, that's got to be the truth. That's, that's, all right. But he has an IQ of 195, and many believe him to be the smartest man on earth. 
who was known as the world's smartest man in the Bible. Good. Oh, we got a good group with this this morning. Good class. Solomon, in 1 Kings 3.12, it says, I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there has never been or never will be anyone like you. So the wisdom of Solomon, the knowledge and the wisdom of Michael Langan definitely exceeds mine and ours, but the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.25 says, for the foolishness of God, All right, this is interesting because we understand God can't be foolish, but at the lower end of God's wisdom, which there isn't, so he's using a, a human argument here. The foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. So as wise as man can possibly get, that doesn't even broach the foolishness of God. And the strength of God as well. Compare Michael Langan and Solomon, even though they, are, they were God-given extremely intelligent, they can't even be compared with the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Third, omnipresent. God is present everywhere. Oh, yeah, I couldn't put a picture of that. Because nobody has that power. While many of us do have, to some extent, wisdom and strength that God has given us, as human beings, we can only be in one place at one time. God is omnipresent. Psalm 139, verses 7 and 8. Say, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. There is nowhere that you and I can go that would separate us from the presence of God. God is everywhere, present with us, everywhere, I get, everywhere we go. So back to the question, why should we trust God? God is the only person that is truly worthy of our trust. God is a person, God's character, God's attributes. God is worthy of our trust, of us placing our trust in him. Proverbs 3 Verse 5, trust in the Lord. You know, if the verse stopped there, it'd be pretty simple to obey that command. Because I believe everyone in this sanctuary has some level of trust in God, in who God is, in God's promises. There's some level of trust there. But the proverb continues, trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will guide and direct your path let me illustrate you know the difference between God's wisdom and man's wisdom and the ability to trust God from a story found in 2nd Chronicles chapter 16 in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 1 to 5, 
It reads, Basha, the king of Israel, went to war against Asa, the king of Judah. All right, this is when Israel was a divided kingdom. And now the two kingdoms are going to battle one another. All right? Israel wants to go to battle against Judah. But when Asa heard that Israel was coming to attack Judah, oh, I'm sorry, and I forgot one sentence here. Basha had made a treaty with the king of Aram to fight with Israel. But when Asa heard that Israel was coming to attack Judah, Asa upped the ante. He sent a larger payment to the king of Aram, and Aram switched sides and fought for Judah and against Israel, and Judah was victorious. I didn't even think about this this morning, but there's a good example of trust, isn't it? I don't think I'd want my trust in the king of Aram. He agreed to fight for me, and now he's fighting for them. There's trust falling apart. But as you look at the situation, Asa assessed the situation. The fact that war was about to take place, and he came up with a better game plan. He decided, oh, maybe if I give the king of Aram more money, he will come fight for us. Asa outsmarted Basha. And we could even follow that up if we look at uh, what Jesus says in Luke 14. It says, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with his 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000 men? If not, he will send a delegation while the others are still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. Or due to the story we're talking about this morning, let me add just something to that. Or the king will devise a strategy of his own and send more money and make a treaty with another king to help you out so you can secure the victory. As you look at what Jesus is talking about here, look, you think, oh, yeah, Asa, he sat down, he assessed the situation, he said, oh, this isn't good. Israel and another army are going to come and attack us, and he come up with another game plan. Oh, pretty good thinking on Asa's part to come up with a game plan, and he was successful. They won the battle. The only problem is the story in 2 Chronicles continues. At that time, Hananiah the seer, or the prophet, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of Aram has escaped your hand. Now, Aram was one of those people groups, one of those countries that was living in, the, in Israel that Israel was supposed to defeat and remove because this was their promised land. But now Asa went and made a treaty with them, and now they're going to stay. All right, so you lost the chance to remove them. Then the seer reminded Asa how he responded differently earlier in his reign. Back in 2 Chronicles 14, Asa was in a very similar situation. The Cushite army marched out against Asa 
the king of Judah, and Asa went out to meet with the Cushites. Then he cried out to the Lord for victory and salvation. And then 2 Chronicles 14, 12 says, And the Lord struck down the Cushites and gave Asa and Judah the victory. He cried out to God. He trusted God. And God struck down the opposing armies. Just years earlier in his life. And all of us remember Jericho, all those battles where the children of Israel didn't win the battle. God did. And God wanted Asa to trust him again, just like he did before. In the next, in Chronicles 16.9, the seer goes on to say, you have done a foolish thing, and from now on, you will be at war. There are consequences for not trusting God. God desires that we trust him with every aspect of our life. What I find is interesting in that situation when Asa made the treaty, God still gave them the victory. I would have thought, yeah, maybe God would have still caused them to lose because of Asa's distrust. But God still gave him the victory. But Asa still paid the price for not trusting God and deciding to rely on his own initiative, a strategy of his own, in his own powers. The result of Asa's failure to trust God was God was angry with Asa and there were serious consequences. While there may have been peace most of the time, between now and the end of Asa's reign, war was going to be at his doorstep for him to face because he didn't trust God. And then for Asa, the story even gets worse. When the seer, the prophet, reprimanded Asa, Asa was angry with the seer, so he, enraged, he was so enraged he put him in prison. And at the same time, Asa began to brutally oppress some of his people. If you remember David, when he had his sin with Bathsheba, and the prophet came in and confronted David, what did David do? He humbled himself. He repented and he restored his relationship with God. Asa didn't do that. Asa continued to go against God and to walk away from God. Asa was afflicted with a disease, and even though it was severe, Asa did not seek the help of God. And Asa died. How does someone go from completely wholly trusting in God to a person that trusts in himself. Hey, Rick, is that that car show that's taking place out there? All right, we're going to compete with the car show now. We're gonna... <laughs> All right, we need to trust on something now that we can make to, that we can hear the rest of this. Um, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord your God with all your heart. The question this morning that I have to ask myself and that we have to ask ourselves as a church, do we wholly, wholly trust in Jesus Christ and in the Lord with all our heart? To answer that question, 
I'm just going to throw something out. What happens when turmoil comes into your life? A bump in the road. Something that's very difficult in life. What happens when you feel pressured to make a really, really important decision? This decision is crucial. What do we do? Do you do everything within your own power? I gotta think, what do we, everything within my own power and ability, my own resources to solve the problem? Do we contact people, oh I know, I'm gonna call someone. Do we contact somebody we know? Almost like Asa calling on the king of Abraham. Do we contact somebody that we know can help us in this situation? Is that our first step? Or if we trust the Lord our God, do we give it to Him? Do we stop? Do we pray? Do we cry out to the Lord? Lord, you know this is something in life I don't want to face. This isn't pleasant, but you're still my God. And I cry out and I trust in you for the result. George Barna noted that over 90% of church-going Christians do not make important decisions based on God's word or by seeking God's will. Interesting. 90%. I would say that puts a lot of us, and I'll say us, in the same category as Asa at times. As a bump in the road comes, some very difficult situation, and we just try to figure it out. What do we need to do? Instead of seeking God. Oh, excuse me. This just in. A commercial break. How would you like to attend a Bible study that talks about prayer? Starting next week, we're starting a Bible study that talks about the importance of prayer in the church and the importance of prayer as far as us as an individual. If you haven't signed up yet, how about calling the office or seeing Karen and sign up for that Bible study? Because we're going to talk about the importance of prayer. And prayer is one of those indications that I do trust the Lord with my life. Because a principle, back to the message, the principle is people that truly trust the Lord are praying people. Let's look at, the, look at trusting God from two different perspectives here. First, how does trusting God apply to the church? How, as far as a church, should we act if we're trusting God? All right, we've got a... Here we go. These are a church. They really would like to go through some church growth. And so they bring in a church growth expert. And you see his chart. He has a number of ways. Here's how a church grows. First, the church needs to do this and this. And, and he's walking through. And here's two people on, from the church that are praying. He said, hey, if you guys would get off your knees long enough, I could teach you something about church growth. When we want to accomplish a ministry at the church, what do we do? And I should say, what do we do first? Because you really shouldn't reinvent the wheel all the time. So it really is not a bad idea 
to ask other people who've been there. But what do we do first? Do we get down on our knees and ask God to bless this ministry, to guide this ministry, to use this ministry in whatever way he would like? And God, you're in charge of the results. And we accept that. We trust in you. Is Ridley Park a praying church? When we think about all the ministry that God has given us, are we constantly in prayer? Some of you have, I would think most of you have heard of Calvary Chapel in Philadelphia. And there was one Sunday that I attended church there. And right before the service, I saw this steady stream, maybe 15, 20 people, walking up an outside aisle and going into a room It was right next to the platform where the service was going to take place. I thought, I wonder what uh, small group Bible study, what's going on in there? So I asked somebody from the church, and I said, oh, that's a group of people that they will go into that room, and for the entire time that the church is in service, they're going to pray. They're going to pray for the people involved. They're going to pray for what the pastor preaches. They're going to pray that if there's anybody in our sanctuary this morning that doesn't know Christ, they'll respond. They're going to pray that God, through his Holy Spirit, will be at work this morning. Prayer. Trusting God. Anything that has been done in this church in the past, in the present, or in the future, you and I aren't going to do it. God is. He just uses us as the tool to get it done. And we are a very important part of that. But it's God's work, not our work. And God's going to do that. And do we trust him? And do we go to him first and seek him as we desire him to work in our church? Second, how about in my personal life? How about in your personal life? Where does trusting God? Earlier this year, I was asked to do a funeral for a really good friend of mine, Bill. He was 51 years old. He had three kids between the ages of 12 and 17, so they were still in middle school and high school. And so Bill, he died, and he left a single mother and uh, three children without a father. Now, during the service, I addressed a couple of questions that everybody in those situations, everybody asks. Why? Why? Why did Bill die now at such an early age? Why did Bill die and why did God take him home? Why did Bill die and leave a single mother? And three children at that very crucial stage in their life that need a father. Why? My answer? Don't know. God does. God knows. But I do know God says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, with all your strength. And lean not in your own understanding. How is this family going to make it? Financially, emotionally. It was a, such a great family unit. They were just, got, they were great together. They really were. How are they going to deal with life 
with Bilgon? I don't know. We'll find out. But again, may I refer to trust in the Lord, your God, with all your heart, and lean not in your own understanding. There's a verse that I used that day. Verse out of Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide from me? How long will you hide your face? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts, and every day I have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Can you hear it? Can you hear David in the anguish? It's okay to ask God, to plead with God, and say, why? You know, my paraphrase is what it says, life stinks. And you and I all know that. There are times in our life that we wish we didn't have to go through. But we do, we all do. We all have those times. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, I just thought of this this morning, too, because, I, you know, all this is kind of based on when things are tough. And we need to trust of the Lord when things are good, too, because that's oftentimes when we fail, because life is just rolling along, and we don't need any help. We can do this. But in the difficult times is especially when it's needed for us to trust in the Lord. Life is not easy. We know that. There will be many tests that come into our life. And they're kind of a litmus test. You know, you go to church, you can easily roll off your tongue, hey, trust in the Lord. But can you live it? Can you really live your life trusting in the Lord? One author wrote, there is a big difference between believing in the Lord Jesus and trusting, trusting him with all your heart. When you trust him with your heart, you could submit all your ways, the good and the bad. You can submit everything in your life to him and trust him for the outcome. A good question for each one of us this morning. Maybe as you leave the sanctuary today, do a little thinking. You know, when I get in a situation that's a little tough, that's a little tight, it's a little difficult, what's my first response? Is it trusting God? Is it laying this situation before God and asking God for His omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent work? in our lives. He can be trusted and he will care for us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you are worthy of our trust. You are the only thing in this universe that is truly trustworthy. And Father, great is your faithfulness. And we praise you, knowing that you will never fail us. Lord, we trust you to accomplish the work you desire to do through this church. 
Father, this is the church of Jesus Christ. This is your church, and you will accomplish what you desire. And we just pray that we can be a part of that. Father, we trust you to carry out the work that you want to desire in each of our individual lives. Father, help us to be a faithful witness, and especially as you use us in the work and the ministry of this church, as well as the ministry that we have with others in our family and with those we have contact. Father, thank you for the great beginning we've experienced with youth group this year. And I do pray that some of those teens will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ throughout this school year. And Lord, continue to provide us the opportunity to be the light and the salt. Father, we praise you for the awesome blessings you allow us to experience on a daily basis. Lord, we lift up those in our church that are experiencing some type of hardship and ask you to touch their hearts in a very special way. Provide comfort for them. Lord, we pray for the family of Helen Williamson, for the Potters, for the Bryans, for all the others in the family. Lord, we praise you that she knew where she was going and she is now with you. But Lord, it's never easy to say goodbye. So we pray and we uplift the family as they go through these days as they say goodbye. Father, here we pray together the prayer that you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.